You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel, DC'd every comic book series, and Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Jasper. And this is Randy. We watched two movies. Two Wicka Wicka Wild movies. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. I can't believe. Oh, jeez. So embarrassing. <laughs> yes. All right. So, season. Yes, Mr. West. Season. Uh, uh, oh, Jesus. This is going to be an episode, folks. <laughs> this is going to be an episode. <laughs> season Terrence Reno continues. So, that means this episode we will be discussing Django Unchained and Wild Wild West. <sighs> Jim West, Desperado. Ugh, is that is that the disapproving noises you were talking about earlier? <laughs> yes, ugh. yes, right there. It's, this is a, that's going to be my whole part this episode. Just ugh. okay. So, if you listened to last episode, listener, and you man, how did you not? It was the Inglorious Bastards double feature, which is a great episode. And guess what? I see those download numbers. Some of y'all didn't listen. You should. And I also said y'all, and that's another thing I don't do. This episode is. Disappointing me. (laughs) Jasper threw out this pairing randomly at the end of last episode. And it was so ridiculous that it was kind of perfect. So we went with it. So we went with it. I guess that means we're going to start with a a little Wild Wild West. So this is from 1999. Uh, The two best special agents in the Wild West must... Save President Grant from the clutches of a diabolical, wheelchair-bound, steampunk-savvy Confederate scientist bent on revenge for losing the Civil War. Stars Will Smith as James West, Kevin Klein as Artemis Gordon, Kenneth Braun as Dr. Alice Loveless, Tama Hayek as Rita Escobar, and M. Oh, hold on. M. Emmett Walsh? Yeah. yeah, M. Emmett Walsh as Coleman. And Ted Levine is General Bloodbath McGrath and uh, Moonsetta Bander as Munitia. So I have uh, I have just two notes I want to add real quick to, since you went through the cast. Selma Hayek as Woman and T- Ted Levine as Goodbye Horses. Okay, sorry, continue. <laughs> <laughs> Director is Barry Sonnenfeld. Sonnenfeld, excuse me. Uh, writers is Jim Thomas and John Thomas. Really interesting. Okay. I have a whole bunch of different... Hold on. Let me full... So I am on, as usual, the moviedb.org looking at the same movie, and they mm-hmm. have different screenplay credits. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, do you have Do you have S.S. Wilson, Brent Maddock, Jeffrey Price, and Peter S. Seymour? Yes. That's- yes. That's probably like... It's, you know, big Hollywood movie. It's probably one of those where it started with a screenplay and then just they just passed it around. Do a pass on this. Make it better. Make it better. Fix this. Fix this. Fix this. You know, and then you end up with this movie. 
<laughs> Jasper, I want you to go first. Yes. Had you seen this before? And what are your initial impressions? Okay, so I I have seen this movie multiple times before. This was a big movie when we were kids. As a kid, this this movie was really good. As an adult, I can see where this is pretty okay. well down there. Jasper, I do want to say, because last episode I noticed a little bit of you softening on something that you really liked because I had a lot no. of bad things to say. No. If you love this movie, I want you just to portray every bit of that love with conviction, okay. Okay. regardless Actually, of what I say. Let me, let me, let me say this. And I was thinking about this, this, this week at work. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wanted to bring this to you. Okay. I think in a way, side tangent for the podcast here. Oh God. <laughs> side tangent. I think that the way, and we need to embrace this. I review movies as an entertainment, like entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would almost say, and I hate to say this because I always hate saying mainstream, but I feel like I'm like the mainstream viewer of a movie and I see it for entertainment. You, thank God, see it as the art it is. <laughs> or isn't. <Okay>. Or isn't. <laughs> or isn't. I was going to let you, let you jump in and say that. Uh-huh. Oh, thank and you. And I think, I think we need to. Embrace that I fact? I think we need to embrace that fact. No, I mean, I think you are 100% right. You are, I mean, You've liked movies that I don't think are generally that popular with mainstream audiences, but you are much more the mainstream audience than than me. I am more the I do like it. I do like an art house movie within reason. I do. I love me some horror movies. If a movie's got a weird or depressing ending, I'm good with it. Where a lot of people will be like, "Well, well, that sucked." But that said, I I do also appreciate popcorn flicks and stuff. You know, just something for entertainment value. And as I've yeah. gotten older, I've been less pretentious, more forgiving of popcorn flicks. So, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't think you're wrong. You're right. We should embrace it. That is a strength of this show. Yes. Because if we both just agreed all the time, it'd be boring. And then my thing though, is I've learned through this podcast that I want to learn more about the art behind it, behind like how to, how to, you know, how do they film it? How are these stunts done? How are, how is this set piece made? Like when we did the monster movies, like all the monsters, I was like, I really want to know how they made that, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so with Wild Wild West, it's no like. So when I was a kid, I loved this movie because it was entertaining. It was it was funny, you know. The only thing I think that I really like about this movie is the guy that played Loveless because he is just so out there, you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing I cannot get over this movie, and it makes me. Want to give it a two in a later, but that's not my rating. That freaking part where McGrath turns his earpiece thing down. Oh, God. It made me, like, actually gag. And I was like, why is that even in there? You know, like. In the in the nasty, like, wax. Ah! Oh, yeah. dude. So gross. So gross. And so early in the movie, I was like, oh, this is what we're getting into. Yeah. But I've seen this movie as a child, but as an adult now, there's like some jokes that didn't hit, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, wow, this is really, this is really horrid. But as an entertainment to pass the time, this movie is good. What she says, well, I'm guessing that's the definition of a popcorn flick. Just something to watch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something being a popcorn flick doesn't make it bad. There are great popcorn flicks. Kind of comes down to 
I guess what the motivation of the movie itself is, like what its purpose, other than to sell tickets. But that's a big, you know, it's a popcorn flick. It's, it's to sell tickets of popcorn. You go watch it, eat some popcorn, have a good time. So I'm pretty sure this was my first viewing of Wild Wild West. And I realized I was pretty negative about the movie before I'd watched it. But I had seen a lot about this movie. I'd seen a lot of the scenes, but I don't think I'd ever actually watched the whole thing all the way through. So this is my first viewing of it. I didn't really like it. I mm-hmm. I didn't really like it. I don't know. My expectations of going into it were weird because I kind of, I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this, but I'll give it a shot. Now that said, I think there's some very interesting stuff in this. I loved, of course, this is a big, expensive blockbuster movie, but I loved the special effects. I thought the effects were awesome. I liked the steampunk aesthetic. I liked that whole thing. And it's, Hard to find information about this movie because I believe it bombed, but it's so generally just, I know you like it. I know apparently everybody in the Grolix Lunchbox live chat that we did the other day, we mentioned this movie. They all love this movie apparently. And I have a suspicion that has to do with age when it came out. You Mm. were probably like right about the perfect age for this just to like, just like some kind of cool looking silliness with some jokes. And then it's going to hit your nostalgia bone. I was a little bit older. In 1999, I was in prime, like, snobby kind of, like, movie viewing age for me. So I was was like, I'm not going to watch that. But my point is, with it generally being so disliked, people don't write articles about it unless it's a, here's what sucked about it. Because after I watched this, I was like, I want to find out how they did these effects. I want to know more about the visual effects because they looked great. And there's stuff in it that I was like, was that a miniature? Was that CG? Like how much CG did they do in this? I mean, it's 1999. They were doing CG, but there were a lot of shots in this where I couldn't tell if it was CG, which meant that's a pretty good CG. But that big spider, that was like all CG. And that's pretty impressive to me. Now, that's not to say I couldn't tell they weren't effect shots because I could, because it had in 1999, even though apparently the CG on steampunk looking spiders was pretty good, compositing was not great. They Mm -hmm. definitely improved compositing techniques. Anytime Will Smith or uh, Kevin Klein are composited against a background, you can tell because they have like a soft kind of blur around them. It's not like a super defined outline where they've been green screened in, but they used kind of this blur technique to kind of smooth the edges. And it's kind of a dead giveaway. So I would say my favorite thing about this movie was definitely the effects. Pretty cool, pretty cool effects. Where this movie kind of sucks though, (laughs) where this movie sucks though, is the script is real bad. The story's just kind of weak. Like it's just And it just starts and it's just stuff happening, which is fine. But like, it's the typical kind of blockbuster action-y type plot, except without any real hooks to it. It's just like, Mm -hmm. here's the characters. It's not even like, this is the serious one. This is the funny one. It's kind of, they kind of tried to make Will Smith the serious one and Kevin Klein the funny one, but that would also flip it other times. And so they felt confusing in that way, not super consistent. Although I guess I do appreciate Will Smith trying to play the straight man as opposed to like, he's still just Will Smith, but the Will Smith character. Was MIB after this movie? No, this was 
this was i think just before or just after because there's like some points where like like you're saying he's playing like the straight you know guns agent guy and then there's those moments where he does like the will smith stuff like kind of Look like he's about to fight somebody or something. Like he does that kind of like wavering around type thing. No. So this was one year after Men in Black. Will Smith, like this is when Will Smith just skyrocketed. He he came out of, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He had three big summer blockbusters in a row. So I want to say 95, he did Enemy of the State, which did very well. And then 96, Independence Day, which was massive. And then 97, Men in Black, which was huge. So, like, yeah, superstar. (laughs) And then he passed on the opportunity to do The Matrix so he could do Wild Wild West. (laughs) Not the best decision. (laughs) Yeah. Although, in turn, I think Keanu was better Neo. Or I would have been a better Neo either way. Whoa. I don't know. But what if Will Smith... I can't even do a Will Smith impression. And if I did, it probably sound wrong so uh yeah will smith could know kung fu like hey robots welcome to earth neil that doesn't make sense whoa <laughs> like you know like he does like he goes huh a lot uh-huh like like uh-huh uh-huh yeah it would be like that where that scene where he stops and he goes hmm upgrades he'd be like huh Upgrades. He'd just like, be, you know, he'd be yelling all of his lines. He'd be like, yeah. <laughs> "Picture, if you will, a world where Will Smith is Neo." But you know right, what? You have a blue pill. That one, Will Smith was the. Will Smith and Keanu <laughs> both still very famous and very rich, so I think they're both okay. One of the things I did come across when I was looking up information about this movie was basically there was there was script issues. Will Smith come to this movie and Kevin Klein come to this movie and they both wanted to be the straight man for whatever reason will smith is like i don't want to be like the the comedic character i want to be the serious straight man obviously between the two kevin klein got shoehorned more into the goofy role as evident by that god-awful scene where he's doing like the kung fu moves and then presses the button you know it's, it's bad 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 thing i don't know beyond that though like the script's not great like selma hayek's character why is she there? She serves zero purpose. She's the, she's just there to be woman. They don't have to save her, so I guess it's, at least it's not necessarily woman in peril, although I think she does get abducted at some point. And she's like a fake love interest. They even do it, this movie's quote-unquote twist. Sorry, spoilers. She, it turns out she's married. Mm-hmm. She told him that she wanted to go with them so because they had kidnapped her father, who you don't ever even see but it turns out to be her husband. It's like, who cares? Who cares? Like, I don't know. Why is she here? And then my big issue with this is I'm not a big fan of like sex comedy, particularly like bad sex comedy where it's just not to say I'm not above like some raunchy jokes and stuff, but there's the jokes in this movie are 100% lame kind of juvenile sexual humor and racist mm-hmm. humor it's not even racist humor it's like somebody being racist and that's funny or like i that's the that's the humor and that's kind of my my issue is like you can just feel that there's no soul anywhere in this movie 
Right. That, that's what that's there's just there's no soul, Jasper. It's not pretentious. There's just no soul. <laughs> there's not a lot going on if you really, really, really look at it. It's just for entertainment. It's like I would put it on the level of like a YouTube video of kind of passing the time, you know? Sure, sure. I'm not the biggest Will Smith fan. I think he's fine. I'm not the biggest Will Smith fan, though, especially at this point in time because he's just... I think he's a good actor, but most of the time he's just doing Will Smith, and even though he wanted to play the straight man in this, he's still just kind of doing Will Smith. And his his way of delivering lines by just yelling. Or, okay, so towards the end, they've got this little flying contraption, and Kevin Klein's like... We're just not getting enough speed. And so he turns to like veer off a cliff. And I was like, cue the Will Smith scream. Wait for it. Wait for it. It goes over the cliff. Will Smith scream. Just that certain Will Smith sound. Yeah. I've seen it coming. It's so, everything about it is very formulaic. My favorite thing of, of Will Smith in this was, uh, he goes, that's a man's head. <laughs> like he just kept saying Dude, it I will words. agree. Uh, I think he said it a couple, one, two, or two too many times. We get it. But I did like that scene because that is an appropriate response. And that is a weird thing. That is a weird thing the dude's got set up. Right. The look of the movie is pretty cool. It's not the most dynamic in the way it's filmed, but the set, it's super vibrant. And the effects and some of the props are pretty cool. This is basically a live action cartoon. Mm hmm. That becomes so evident when Will Smith is fighting this random, like, Western steampunk squad in the spider towards the end, where the one dude's got, like, a spike through his head, the one guy has, like, a metal top of his head, the other guy has a knife hand. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? Those are cart those are straight up, like, weird cart- those are comic book characters. Those are cartoon characters. What are these things? They're weird Frankensteins and stuff. I kind of appreciated that, but that scene itself also- presents kind of why I hate the writing of this. So he pushes the one guy out the window and he says, knife to meet you. That's that's his one-liner. And then he's fighting the last guy who's a big guy with like the metal kind of chrome dome thing going on. And the big guy's about to push him out. And then he just like short circuits and falls out for no reason. Like Will Smith didn't do anything to him. Nobody attacked him from behind. This guy wasn't defeated. He just like short-circuited and fell out. He defeated himself randomly at a convenient time. So, I don't know. That's a good example of, like, the super weird potential of this movie, but at the same time, its shortcomings is in that whole scene right there. Right. Let's talk about Lovelace or Love Loss or whatever. Loveless. Because you like that character. I like Kenneth Branagh. This whole time watching this, I was like, that's Kenneth just go be a Wallander, please. <laughs> Stop this and go be Wallander. <laughs> His and Will Smith's dialogue is so... It's just him saying racist things and Will Smith saying stuff about him being disabled. But they're not particularly good. The only one I liked was where he's, he's talking about a woman and he goes, yeah, one day they like you, one day they just cut, cut your legs out right from under you. I was like, ow. I don't mind some edgy humor, but I don't know. We got to see Will Smith's junk for half a second. Oh, did we? I did not. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm not the only one. It's, uh, somebody in the Lunchbox live chat kept bringing it up. 
Oh my god. But no, they're right though. They're right. It's towards the beginning when he falls out of the water tower and he stands up and the camera is like on the floor between behind him between his legs looking up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I love M. Emmett Walsh and he is underused and about the only time he is in this is uh, he's doing the like oh, it's funny because he thinks those guys are gay type thing. So, I don't know. That's pretty lame. There's just some parts of this movie that just oh my god, like it's horrid. It's kind of amazing though because I like virtually all the actors associated with this, but this movie seems so far beneath most of them. But, you know, whatever. That's me being me being judgmental. <laughs> I do want to say and I meant to throw this in at the beginning. So, I think also when this came out, another kind of disappointment of mine is, so this is actually based on an old TV series. I'm familiar with the series because my dad loved this show. I think it ran when it, I don't think I know for a fact, it ran when he was a kid for a long time and it used to get rerun on uh, cable all the time. So he was always watching it. So I was very familiar with the show, but it was based on a television series that ran from 1965 to 1969. I guess that's not super long. And then there were two TV movies made afterwards called The Wild Wild West. And, you know, it's loosely similar in that it's two guys, two white guys, because it was a Western in the 60s. (laughs) But uh, two guys, they were Secret Service agents. And there was a kind of of a sci-fi twist to it, sci-fi bent, I guess, a science fiction alternate history type thing, but it wasn't anywhere as extreme as what they do in this movie. Right. So I was familiar with that. And then seeing what I saw of this movie when it came out, I don't know if it was trailers or what, but I was just like, this is not, that's not this. It's not like the show was super popular in 1999. It's, it's such a weird property to mine, but you know, whatever it was probably, some producer or or the director or somebody had a love for the show when they were a kid like my dad did and was like, I want to make this movie. But yeah, that's what the movie is loosely based on is Western TV series. Uh, what's his name? Robert? Robert Conrad, who was in the original, of course, hated this movie. When this movie swept the 20th annual Razzie Awards, <laughs> yep. Winning five statuettes, including worst pitcher Robert Conrad, who played James West in the original 1960s television series, accepted three of the awards in person. <laughs> Which is great. I believe at some point, I don't know when, but Will Smith actually apologized to him for doing the movie. And they also said Mel Gibson was supposed to be James West, which would have been just kind of weird. Well, then what kind of insults would the villain hurl at him then? Because I don't know. apparently nobody would know what to say to this guy if he wasn't black, because that's all the bad guys ever pointed to was, you're black, I'm going to say a racist thing. I get it's the West, but you know what? It's not, because the West didn't really have giant steampunk spiders and dudes with Frankenstein metal skull caps. So. Right. Also, that Will Smith song at the end is terrible. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> He's such a shill, but you, whatever. He's an actor. It was a job. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the movie was produced on a $170 million budget. Now, keep in mind, that's the budget of the production and probably does not include massive promotional budget because this movie, it was their big blockbuster. Like, it was supposed to be their big blockbuster. 
I remember this movie getting advertised to no end. It had the the Burger King or McDonald's, probably McDonald's tie-in toys and junk, just tons of advertising. In the U.S., it made 113.8 million, and then 108.3 million overseas, so it brought in 222 million. Yeah, with whatever they spent on promotion, they probably still were in the negative on this one. Like they said, the reason why this this movie sold was that kids were buying tickets to this one and then sneaking into the South Park movie <laughs> and the American Pie when they came out. Oh, God, that really puts a snapshot of when this movie hit theaters. Right. Yeah, I went and saw American Pie. I regretted that one, too, but I don't know if I'd regret it. Mm, I probably would have rather watched this in American Pie. I hate American Pie with a passion. Let's do ratings on this on this bad boy. Okay, you first. To be honest, I was a little torn. I almost went two stars on this. I almost went two stars because the effects are awesome. And it was a couple days before I actually even put my rating into Letterboxd because I was mulling it over. But then I, the more I thought about just the dialogue and the script and just the movie in general, because I think there's some entertainment to be had. Mm-hmm. But there are there are so many moments where I was like, oh, just don't, just don't, don't do this. So I'm settling on one and a half stars, one and a half. It's a rating that hurts Jasper's heart. It does. How about you, Jasper? How's this a four star? I'm getting a, a solid three. I expected higher. Now three. It's like I said. I liked this movie when I was younger, but now watching it as a as an adult, because probably the last time I watched this movie, I was probably fourteen. There's just some really. But would I watch this movie again? Probably yes. But three. You know, I may not enjoy it, but I would not be opposed to watching this again someday. <laughs> For the right reason, I don't know what that reason would be. Weirdly enough, even though I give it 1.5, I think I could watch it again. At least parts of it. There's there's some interesting stuff. There's enough cool eye candy that I, I think I could sit through most of it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It moves fast. I'll, I'll give it that. Like, it doesn't lull. It moves so and that's how the west was lost <laughs> all right from the wicka wicka wild west to the wild west <laughs> i don't know if that was a i'm a sink. little i'm a little sad that you did that <laughs> why i don't know it's just it was not good <laughs> oh how about how about from the wicka wicka wild west to the very serious south Yes, there we go. To the south at a very bad time. Well, never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I was going to offend anyone who, if we have listeners in the south, uh, I'll just keep, just know that I'm retracting what I was about to say for you. So, yeah, from the Wild West to the south. Up next, we are talking about Django Unchained from 2012. This is written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Overview. With the help of a German bounty hunter, a freed slave sets out to rescue his wife from a brutal Mississippi, Mississippi, Mississippi plantation owner. Mississippi. This is starring. Um, there's a lot of people, but I'll just do like kind of the highlighted main cast. Django is played by Jamie Foxx. Christoph Waltz 
as Dr. Schultz, Leonardo DiCaprio as Calvin Candy, Kerry Washington as Broomhilda, and Samuel L. Jackson as Steven. And a whole bunch of, like, there's a, dude, there's a lot of people in this. Like, just, there's a lot of people that pop up in weird, smaller roles. That's kind of interesting. Don Johnson, Michael Parks returns in this. Uh, he's been in lots of Tarantino movies. And even though he's, you know, it's it's a Western or a Southern, as Tarantino calls it. It's his Southern. It's not a Western. Michael Parks is basically feels like he's playing the same character that, that he did in Death Proof and Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror and Kill Bill. Anyway, Django Unchained. Uh, since you started last time, I'll start this time. I have seen this before. I've seen this several times, and I quite enjoy this movie. I think I know the answer to this, but Jasper, have you seen it before, and what do you think of it? I've seen it, I think... Three times? This is probably my favorite Tarantino movie so far. Interesting. Let me let me just start off. I thought this is a weird movie. Uh, one, so kind of connects them as everybody knows that Will Smith was tapped to play Django. I, that's, I, you're right. I didn't even... Yeah, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think of that extra connection to Wild Wild West. Okay. Yeah, and so, yeah, because... He, and he didn't take the role because of the use of the N-word. Okay. But... I didn't think really Jamie Foxx could play this kind of role, but then again, when you watch this movie, I was totally wrong. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I really like Jamie Foxx in this. I love him, but the big person I love in this movie is Christoph Waltz. Mm-hmm. I I don't know why, but every movie I've seen with him now, of course, the, the two Tarantino movies, the dude just he sets like a precedence in the movie, you know, and he's it, like, he's got a calm demeanor, but he's pretty much evil, you know, mm-hmm. but they said that he don't, he don't want to play an evil person, but it's like, he's, he's kind of evil, but he's doing everything well within the law. You know? Yeah. He's great in this. And I mean, he's Christoph Waltz. He has a certain voice. He's got the German accent. So, you know, he doesn't sound that much different than his character in Inglorious Bastards, but it's still a very different performance because he puts off a totally different thing. He is extremely likable in this movie, I think. And I think in, in Glorious Bastards, his character is enjoyable, but he's not necessarily likable. He's a bad dude. Mm. But in this, he does bad things, but he's got heart. If not for Jamie Foxx, he is the center of this movie. And I, I mean, and get, we'll get in, you know, into Leonardo DiCaprio's role, but, you know, they worked very well together. Mm-hmm. Which would be kind of weird. I didn't because you know Christoph Waltz, of what I've seen and and read about him, and he's kind of that old old era actor. You know, he does it's the art of it, and Jamie Foxx is just kind of that entertainment actor. But they have such a good chemistry on screen. Yeah, I would agree. Jamie Foxx is interesting in this because, and it makes sense. You know, when you start the movie, he's a slave, even as a quote unquote free man. It's not a good time for a black person around there. It's, you know, he still has to, like, be real careful. But I think it's a, you, you get an interesting kind of progression of his character, or at least he seems more timid might not be the right word, but part of it is, like, definitely unsure of this Christoph Waltz guy, like, for the first part. And you actually kind of get a sense that he 
he opens up a bit as the movie goes on. And then by the end, he's he's Django, right? Like he's he's a bad and not to say yeah. he's he's not at the beginning of the movie, but he's put in the position to where he can embrace it. I don't know. What I like about this too was where he gets talking with Candy, you know, that they portray him as the the eyes to purchase fighters, you know. Mm-hmm. A slave gets tore up by dogs because Candy tells him, you know, to kill him for running away. And you think that Django's going to just jump off and start shooting. And the whole time he's just locked eyes with, with Candy. Oh, when he plays the role of, as he called it, a black slaver. Mm-hmm. Woo! Like, that's tense because, first off, he commits. And he's bold and unapologetic. And he he sells it. He sells the whole thing better than Christoph Waltz's character does. But also, at the same time, there's tension because you're like, is Candy going to put up with that? Like, that's not, and you get the sense from everybody's reaction, that's not normal behavior for even a quote-unquote free man. Everybody's shocked by it, including Christoph Waltz, who's like, at one point takes him aside. He's like, you better chill. And he's like, I am chill. This is what we're here to do. You know, I'm intriguing him. I like that whole thing is awesome. Mm. So... Last episode, I'm like, you know, Tarantino makes a movie about world, set in World War II, and he still makes it about movies. How is he, like, and I didn't recall, how is he going to make Django Unchained a Western about movies? Because you know in some way he's going to. Mm-hmm. He did it in that it's about acting because they have roles. They go into situations. He's like, okay, so here's your role. Here's my role. You're this guy and you you know whatever and i'm this guy i'm gonna act this way and, and he still makes it about acting or you know in some way it's still about film or theater that said i do like that setup i think it's great and just the way he like delivers line because like yeah he's like oh your, your friend looks a little green in the gills there you know i don't think he's got the stomach like he's trying to figure out if they're actually there for that i don't think he's got the the stomach for Mandingo fighting, and he's like, no, he's just never seen a man torn, torn apart by dogs before. He's like, if this is what you're showing me, then I'm not impressed. He's totally committed. And cold. You know, and I like, he keeps getting mean-mugged, eyeballed by the one slave that Candy owns. But eventually, he, he kind of figures it out. He's like, oh, I get it. He's Django. <laughs> right. Like a lot of Tarantino movies, especially... This and Inglorious Bastards, like I really grouped together more so than like Hateful Eight, which we'll talk about next episode. But I grouped these two together because they're both kind of period pieces, but they also have like, yes, Pulp Fiction is a collection of scenes, but these, both of these movies are a collection of scenes and each scene feels very contained or very unique to itself. You know, there's the couple of bounties they do where uh, they track down the one guy that had whipped him and Broomhilda or the couple of guys. That whole section is awesome and super memorable. And this movie is just full of little bits like that. Again, not to compare, but whereas in Glorious Bastards, we had Jewish soldiers shooting Hitler in the face. Here we get Django whipping the guy who whipped him as a slave. And yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> and then towards the end, just blowing dudes away. Let's talk about the gunplay. Because anytime the guns come out, 
<laughs> the blood is insane. And right. it's, it's not even, it's not like Kill Bill blood spray. It's like jello dynamite. It's like big chunks of just gelatinous blood and goo explode off of people. And the sound design really like embraces that texture because it's not just like, you know, bang, bang or <clears throat> body hits or something. It's like bowls of jello getting thrown against a wall. Just blah. Yeah. And it's blah. like way over. <laughs> it's super over the top. Yeah, intentionally so. I think Tarantino took took some slack for that. This movie in particular, he took some slack for the violence. But I'm like, I don't feel like the violence in this is at all as bad as in some movies, even if those movies are more low-key with their blood, because this is cartoonishly bloody. Like, it's so over the top that it kind of takes some of that edge off. And I feel like maybe that's the point to where he doesn't want the audience to feel bad about these gunfights. He wants it to be fun because this is supposed to be kind of the cathartic, a cathartic moment. Yeah. But I don't understand the outrage. Well, in general outrage about violence and stuff, but outrage about violence in this movie specifically, because are you kidding? It's so unrealistic. It's, it's like, when a horror movie just goes so over the top with blood that you laugh, it this goes to those kind of levels. Like the one, the one guy who, during the big gunfight in Candy's house, there's one guy who keep just on the floor who just keeps getting shot over and over, and he's just the whole time like, oh, 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 and it's like, what, what? Like the first time he shot somebody, or it was what the brittle brother that was on the. No, it was the slave owners in the first one where he shot, I think he shot part of the horse and then the guy was just like, Psh, mm-hmm. you know, like, it I, was crazy. I will say the horse, I think just because it's an animal and sure, it's the same kind of gelatinous funk, like blah and weird jello explosion, but it's like the top of this horse's head just explodes. That's pretty shocking. But then it continues it, and you're just like, oh, it's just all over the top. You can, like, hear the blood hit the ground after this. Like, mm. It's so crazy. I don't think blood does that. Again, as I was saying earlier, there's so many little bits, cool bits and pieces that we can't, we can't just talk about them all. Just know there's a lot of stuff in this that I like. Tarantino's good about coming up with intense, intriguing scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, a, like a lot of his movies, a collection of those intense, intriguing scenes. I kind of feel like narratively this is woven together more cohesively than some of his other movies. Like, for the most part, Inglorious Bastards does have an overarching plot, but its little individual scenes still feel very separated. This does feel a bit more cohesive to me. Yeah, more like it's supposed to be one movie, you know. Yeah, and I guess there's not the chapters and stuff, so maybe that's part of it. Like, he's not drawing attention to these individual sequences. There's some music cues that stick out, but it's not the usual Tarantino music cues. It's more modern, like, rap music and stuff, which is interesting. But for the most part, some of the more jarring elements of Tarantino, like, influences that he usually pulls into movies, I don't feel like those are here. At least not in an extremely jarring way. Mm -hmm. It just, in general, feels more cohesive to me than some of his other movies. This is, like, the most... Like fluid movie, yeah. But this is another one where, yeah, it's long. 
But on a rewatch, this recent rewatch, it breezed by for me. As usual, this movie looks great. Wonderful shots in this that I really enjoy. I like, I don't know, the, the look of it's just like it's bright. The color is just spot on. I don't know, great, great looking movie, good cinematography. Uh, not surprising with a Tarantino movie, but also like, I hate to keep comparing, but, or at least bringing up points, but like I said last episode with Inglorious Bastards, Tarantino has a good vision and he works with good cinematographers. Maybe he always works with the same guy. I'm not sure I should look into that. But I think his movies benefit from being taken out of, you know, urban settings like like a lot of his early movies and being put out in more rural settings or more unique settings. You know, World War II, there's a lot of France in, uh, the, what is that, World War II, the 40s. And then this, obviously, is, there's several settings in the South. Got some winter stuff, some spring stuff, summer stuff, like you get different seasons. I think... His filmmaking benefits from interesting locales because, man, he knows how to shoot them, and they look fantastic. Right. With a lot of these Tarantino movies, there's a lot we could dig into, but it's only interesting for so long to listen to. So let's let's get to star ratings. Jasper. Yes. I think you're up first. Well, every actor that was in here that had a main role did their job and did very well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think Tarantino, you know, he knows what he's looking for when he makes movies. With that, the cinematography and all that stuff, I, I gave it a five out of five. The leads, you know, Candy, of course, Schultz and uh, Django. Uh, we didn't even talk about Samuel L. Jackson, who apparently was not happy to have to play that role. But he's like, okay, well, whatever, that's the role. But they're all fantastic and memorable and interesting, unique characters. Candy, DiCaprio kills it, man. Candy is such a weird and like kind of fascinating to watch. He has this weird energy, but he's also like just a bad dude and you know it. Leo actually had to take a break because he was so upset with the the words he used and the racial slurs that his character is using. That Samuel L, you're gonna have to say Samuel L pulled him aside and said, Most this is just a regular Tuesday for us. And then apparently that made it all better for him. Dude, that's something I was thinking about watching that. And, you know, of course, Samuel Jackson's right. But knowing how that word affects people, and then even if you're acting, having to say the things that some of the characters say here, it's gotta, it's gotta feel weird. It's gotta feel uncomfortable. Can't imagine how it wouldn't, you know. Of course, you know, everybody's professionals and actors and understand that and they signed on to the movie, but still interesting. Yeah, no. So I'll give this five stars. I enjoyed this a lot upon this rewatch. I figured I would. This is one of the ones when we started uh, season Terran three. No, this is one of the ones I think I was looking forward to most this and Inglorious Bastards. They're both very enjoyable. So, yeah, I would say this is the one I was looking forward to. I kind of got the sense from you. Yeah. So Jasper, one of the studios is making a bet that Westerns are going to come back in a big way. But they need something. They need some hook. Maybe they need, like, steampunk robots or snappy dialogue. So they picked up the rights to Wild Wild West and Django Unchained. Because that's going to be combined with Zorro soon anyway, so what's it matter? How would you combine Wild Wild West and Django Unchained into one cinematic universe? So the way I had it, 
at first was James West and Django would go to every plantation and free every slave by just mowing everybody down. Okay. Okay. But what it would be cool is a third movie where they basically just start a bounty hunting service, right? And then the the doctor is live and kicking and he runs the business. You know, they go out, get all the bounties. I think it would just be a fun movie to watch with, you know, Will Smith and, and Jamie Foxx. Because Django is so serious and James West was, you know, it was a comedy. Mm-hmm. I think it would kind of work well. I like the idea of Django as the straight man and Will Smith's version of the straight man, which is still kind of Will, super Will Smith and goofy, mm-hmm. being the, the comedic character. Yeah. That's fun. That's what I had. Okay, so now Django Unchained takes place before the Civil War. Wild Wild West takes place shortly after the Civil War, which is kind of integral to the plot. So I'm thinking there's a movie before Wild Wild West, after Django, during Civil War, and it's Jamie Foxx kicking ass, and I'm sure at some point he can come across Will Smith. That's the one moment where Wild Wild West gets serious, where Will Smith talks about going to this town after it was swept through and everybody was killed and it was a serious moment. We'll say Jamie Foxx wasn't killed there, but Jamie Foxx's character Django was with him on that. So we're going to have a little adventure with that. Eventually, yep. though, Django, you know, he's not going to hang around this Will Smith character too long. Plus, Will Smith is working for the he's working for the white man. And Jamie Foxx is having none of that. He's still going to do his law thing. He's a bounty hunter. But Will Smith's going to go off and be, you know, a secret service guy. And they'll separate for a while. So that's that movie. And then later we can tie up again after Wild Wild West and have like a ridiculous Django. You, uh, Captain West and U.S. Marshal Gordon. They can all. Artemis Gordon. Artemis Gordon. And Broomhilda. Let's br- bring Broomhilda into it. Because uh, I don't mean to leave out the lady. Got to have a woman in there who's not just the woman. She'll be awesome, and uh, they can all tie up and have crazy steampunk adventures. But mind you, all these, especially the fun, crazy steampunk adventure, rated R, super hardcore, gelatin blood explosions on every gunshot. (laughs) So you're saying Tarantino is is directing this movie? Yes. No, because that would make it his last movie. And I don't want his last movie to be something odd or silly like that or Star Trek. As I say, uh, Michael Bay then. Oh, it probably would be somebody like Michael. No, not Michael Bay. Whatever. He did bad boys. I guess he could do this. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So what? Okay. So suddenly what we've got is a Django slash wild, wild west bad boy style. Yep. That's right. basically what I what I would see is a more Bad Boys theme. So is this going to be like instead of because Bad Boys was Will Smith and what's his name? Oh, Martin Martin Lawrence. Yep. So Martin Lawrence now will be Django. So is Martin? Wait, wait. Is Martin Lawrence going to be playing Django? Is it going to turn into because this is how we didn't even talk about you know the history of Django, which is fine, but Django was almost a James Bond where like there were several Django movies back in the day, but it wasn't always the same Django. So mm-hmm. is that what we're going to do? Yes. Okay. Yes. What if, okay, how about this? We do kind of an experimental film series where we're going to take the cast 
In fact, I'm looking at them right now. It's almost perfect, except for M. Emmett Walsh does not fit. Uh, we're going to take the cast of each movie and then just switch them and remake the movies. So Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, those are our leads for the new Wild Wild West. Okay. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio is the Kenneth Branagh rule. And honestly, characters, not that far off. Mm -hmm. Selma Hayek will now be Broomhilda, although that doesn't really work. But, you know, whatever. We're going to roll with it. Samuel L. Jackson will be the M. Emmett Walsh character. But the, I don't know who we're going to replace Samuel L. Jackson's character with. Because I don't want to put M. Emmett Walsh in there. Plus, I don't know if he's still alive. He might be. If he's if he is, I'm going to feel a little bad for saying that. But there we go. Switch the cast. But, what, but wouldn't Leo's character, like Loveless, his, he would have to make the spider run off like biofuel because... It puts off way too much stuff into the environment. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't understand. DiCaprio's playing a villain, so he wants the villain to pollute the environment so he can say, see, that's why this is wrong. Ah, okay. When he accepts I his see. Oscar for his remake of Wild Wild West, his shot-for-shot, shot, same screenplay remake of Wild Wild West. I'm envisioning this movie right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Like with Leo with that with that beard, yeah, exactly. Come on, it's not a stretch. I think it wouldn't bomb if it had those people. I think it would. I think it bombs so hard. All right, I don't know, listeners. If you're still with us, I... did you enjoy this? <laughs> did you did you enjoy what we did to these movies? Basically, we're just going to switch the cast now. <laughs> we made you listen while we ruined these movies, while we soiled these movies. All right. Yeah, that's all we got. That's all we got. Uh, so here's what's coming up. There's only two episodes left of season three of GCU. Then we're going to take a little break because that's what we do. So we've got Hateful Eight coming up. I'm looking to have a guest on that episode, but I'm not going to announce who on the podcast until it actually happens. I'm thinking we might pair that with The Magnificent Seven. Uh, we were going to do Seven Samurai, but... Trying to combine Seven Samurai and Hateful Eight is too much of a stretch, I think. Like, just in terms of time period and geographic location. So maybe Magnificent Seven. Which means we have still, like, six to seven hours of movie to watch. That's the other thing, Jasper. For Hateful Eight, which version are we watching? Have you ever seen Hateful Eight? I have seen it. But I was intrigued by that Netflix one. Okay, so Netflix... Okay, so you've seen the original cut, though. Yeah. Okay, interesting, which is pretty long to begin with. Netflix has the extended cut, which I've never seen. I believe it's the version that Tarantino toured around on his, like, whatever crazy roadshow he did. Interestingly, I noticed Netflix has it divided up into hour chunks like a series, which is very odd to me. But, yeah, okay, so that's like a four-hour movie, but I'm thinking we should do that. Yeah, I think that one would be a lot more intriguing. Yeah, I'm very curious. And if I'm going to commit a couple more hours to Hateful Eight, might as well watch the version I hadn't seen yet. And then after that, or before that, depends what happens first, of course, because that's how time works. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh right? Uh, and then we will be also discussing Tarantino's new movie, because we timed it almost perfect. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is coming out the... Um, when this goes up, it'll be out next weekend, this coming weekend. Um, about the 26th or so. 
So yeah, we're going to watch that and review that, and that'll be our like season finale type special episode. It'll just be that one movie. We're not going to pair it with anything. And that'll be season three. Woo! That's season four. We're doing all the Veggie Tales. I'm just joking. We're not. That sounds so boring. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We got some time before then. But that's all we got. Be sure to check us out at GrawlixPodcast.com, G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at GCU Podcast. Likewise, you can find our sister show at Grawlix Podcast on Twitter. And we're also on Instagram. Same thing. I've been Randall Sylvie. Find me at RandallSylvie.com. How about you, Jasper? Oh, Jasper, you can find me at one place right now. It's called Twitter, at Caronzo Media, which is K-O-R-A-N-S-O Media. That's right. You can find him, and you can retweet his angry tweets at Sprint. Yes, please. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this little trip into the West in the South, the Southwest. West Tex-Mex. Tex-Mex like Taco Bell version of what we always do. Uh, Wild Wild West is like the Taco Bell version of Django Unchained. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, it is. Like the Randy, uh, what's that? How, how is that the Randy? That's, that's your random noises of disappointment. Uh. Oh. <laughs>